Welcome to the Scale Your Business Better with Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is Carrie Prejean at CFO Consulting, and that's his website, strategicbusinessadvisors.org. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jay. Glad to be here. My pleasure. Do you want to kick us off and give us a brief overview of what Strategic Business Advisors does and what you're all about? Yeah, let me answer that with telling you about who it is I, I typically work with. I typically work with business owners or small and medium-sized businesses who are tired of being chained to their businesses, who can't take any kind of extended time off. They're working 80 to 100 hours a week, and they basically feel like they're a glorified employee. They don't work on the business, they work in the business. <clears throat> and what happens over time is if you start a small business, you gotta do everything. And if you never step back and build a team of people who can step up and do all the stuff you're doing in the beginning, you're gonna be a slave to that. And the other thing is you'll be addicted to doing it your way, which is a, which is a huge trap. And I want things done my way. I don't know if you remember De Niro's character in the movie Casino, but he's like, there's three ways to do things around here. There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and the way I do things. And that's where we do things around here, my way. So the, that's a huge trap for business owners. And they think because they started a business, because they own the business, because they've been there since the beginning, they know best how to manage the business. And the typical entrepreneur is that data set, that mindset is usually antithetical to what makes a good manager. Good manager wants slow and steady, rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. Business, business, the entrepreneur, he's out there in a wild blue yonder, try this idea, try that idea. But in terms of execution, they're very bad. So yeah. it's helping business owners decouple from the being in their business and become more managing, as they say, from a 10,000 foot level, taking the business to the next level and managing by the numbers. That's a, that's the results that produce. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. And I think, I think that pretty much all entrepreneurs understand that's such an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? Because you start a business, you put your blood, sweat and tears into it. And if you're fortunate enough to survive and, and make it to that level, it's, I think there's a level of fear to do it any other way, because that's what kind of got you to where you are. What's your advice to business owners that kind of, to not really any fault of their own, kind of fall into that stuck mindset of, this is the way I got here and this is the way we have to keep doing things and I'm the only one who can do it. How do you help them break out of that mindset well, and open them up to maybe right. the idea of doing things differently? And what you said is very critical, it's a mindset. In other words, it's a perspective, it's a narrative that they live by it's an assessment they made that they're the best run the business. They're not willing to trust anybody else to run it. It's got to be their way. And the way to, if that's what your mindset is, you're not going to change. You're not going to step back. You're, you're going to, that's, this is, look at the rest of your life. That's where you're going. You're not going to get to the next level. You're not going to manage from 10,000 feet. You're not going to manage by the numbers because you're going to always want to have your hands in everything. So the question is, are you willing to change? Not just willing to change, are you committed to changing to where you're, free of the day-to-day -day hassles of your business because if you're committed to change i can help you but you got to be committed to change because if you're not if if you want to keep doing the same thing and expect different results that's einstein's definition of insanity so the question is do you like working 8 to 100 hours a week do you like not being able to take say four weeks off if you wanted to do you like having a fool with all the little nitty-gritty things that your employees can't seem to get together if you like fooling with all that stuff and keep at it. But if you want to change things, you're going to have to commit to be, you're going to have to become a different person. You're going to have a different mindset, a different narrative to not be trapped in there because it's your narrative that has you there, nothing else. 
Yeah, I like what you said there, and that was Albert Einstein, at least was uh, one of the uh, people who, who made that famous quote, if you continue doing the same things over and expect different results, that's the definition the of definition insanity. Of and I follow Alex Hermosi a lot. He talks about different seasons in your business, right? Different seasons. And so maybe the season that kind of got you launched and got you initially successful should have ended, right? In a different season, you should be in a different season now. So if you're stuck in that first season or the second season that you're in it's that's not the season that's going to get you to the next level which you kind of were talking about there's you know different levels as we progress along right. um it's, wanna... it's kind of like it's kind of like growing up you know your child you stumble around stuff and as you get older you learn a few more things you begin to develop physically you get to teenagehood and there's a lot of people and maybe i don't know if this makes sense to you but there's a lot of people who never mature past teenagehood. They're protracted teenagers in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I know people attracted teenagers in their 80s, right? And then it's, it's from this mindset of it's not my fault. Uh, I'm not responsible. I don't want to I don't want to have to be responsible for anything. The whole teenage mindset, right? It, it's, it's never that fault. It's always something else that's holding me back. The same thing with business owners in development of their business. They go through business cycles. But as you keep going to the next level, the business owner has to adapt and be a different leader to take the business with him. And a lot of them get stuck at certain points where they're not going to develop anymore because they think, I, I have it, I know it. And that, so they stop changing, so the business stagnates. And they'll look back 20 years and say, we're doing the same thing for 20 years. Why isn't it working so well anymore? The world has changed. Technology has changed. The market has changed. Everything's changed. And if you're not willing to adapt to that, have fun. Or try to have fun. <laughs> Put that way. Along the way, yeah, try to have some yeah. fun. Would you say that as an entrepreneur and a business owner and a leader, that if you want your business to change, you must change? Say that last part again, if you want your business. If, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business leader and you want your business to change or progress to the next level, would you say that you as a person has to change as well with it? Yeah, fundamentally, the business owner has to change. The, the business owner has to become a different person, has to be the leader that's going to take his business to the next level because... In any organization, the mood, the culture, everything about it starts at the top and flows down. So if you've got up this kind of closed-in mindset of this is the only way we're going to do things, I don't want to hear about anything new, that's what's going to happen with the business, and that's going to translate down through the people in your organization as well. As opposed to, I'm looking for how can we do things differently, how can we do things more effectively, who's going to bring on the team that can do this thing so I don't have to, that's a whole different mindset and it's gonna it's gonna affect your people they're gonna they're gonna operate out of that mindset and they're looking for you for how, how do we dance together how you are with your people is going to determine how they are with you within your business makes perfect sense what are some of the what are some of the services that you offer to clients how do you help them get unstuck first is managing by the numbers right that's basically fundamental it, it gives the business owner I had some idea of what's happening as well as what to do next. And the, what I start with is making sure they have weekly dashboards that show them some of the key, what they call the key performance indicators in the business. So they can see is, is sales good, cash flow look good, the six week to eight week cash projection they get every week, receivables, payables, what's the agent look like on there, inventory, if they have an inventory stale, is it turning over enough, um, taxes, more make sure your tax is being paid and filed on time. Uh, there's a bunch of different dashboards I get. So you spend one hour looking over all your different dashboards and you don't go full with, you don't go spend a half a day going through payables with the county or you don't go spend a half a day 
looking at receivables of accounting and asking about specific accounts. You sign, you assign the goal, the objective, what you want to have to your lead person in accounting and let them be responsible for it. If they're not doing their job, call them on it. But you don't want to ever go. I've seen, I have this couple that uh, run a business and they wind up getting involved in customer service. They'll get in customer service calls at two hours and they have customer service people. Like what? And they never have enough time. <laughs> why, why are you getting on a customer service call? Absolute waste of your time. Anyway. Yeah, you were, so the question oh, was, service, how yes. do you help these guys? You were talking right. about KPI. So you start with, start by looking at the numbers. Yeah, actionable, actionable like. financial data. Actually, mm -hmm. that's what I call actionable financial data. What that means is you get financial data on a timely basis that you can actually take action now rather than get your financial statements on the 20th of the following month. And you look back and say, oh, last month wasn't too good. Well, nothing you can do about last month now. The other thing is to help them look at their financial statements on a monthly basis and actually show them ratios and give them a layman's interpretation of what the financial statements are saying about their business and their performance. How, how financially strong are you? How liquid are you? How profitable, et cetera. And then have them help them set some goals for how can you improve your financial statements in the future? What are some things you're looking to? And what I see in human behavior, not just business, but human behavior is the things you focus on and pay attention to are the things that are going to improve the most. If you're paying attention to numbers, the numbers are going to improve, which means profitability is going to improve, cash flow is going to improve, and probably morale is going to improve, and not to mention your own mood. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that back up because I've heard that said. I've heard that said by a lot of people throughout the years, and I can't remember who the most notable person is to say it, but where you spend most of your attention or majority of your attention is where you're getting most of the re most results from. Yeah. So yeah. it's just the more you put into something, the more you get out. Um, and yeah, we deal with that as well. We deal with a lot of problems with KPIs and reporting. When we start working with a client, they usually don't have very many. That's almost always a problem, which is very interesting that it's such a common issue. And so one of the first things we end up doing is, okay, we need to build these KPI dashboards. So you have real time data so you can make data-driven decisions instead of emotional ones, right? Yeah. Or make decisions out of a mindset that doesn't empower you. That's another huge trap. And what people don't get is that whatever narrative you operate out of, it's going to empower you in some ways and it's going to disempower you in some ways because whatever mindset you have, it's going to have its blindnesses, if that makes sense. It's in the blindnesses, or actually a lot of times it's in the misinterpretations or the negative interpretations of the way you are, the way things are in the world, that's going to have you be disempowered, that's going to have you suffer and not be effective. So that's one of the things to do is in working with uh, business owners to actually have them examine their narrative and see what's working, what's not working. Where are they empowered? Where are they disempowered is really what the work is. If they're doing fine something, why get screw with it? So it's, it's in the areas that they're not very effective, that they have some suffering about, that they're not, there's no power there. That's what area is going to work with and, and, and get that fixed and get them on a, a good path. And it, sometimes what it takes is they're fooling with something they really shouldn't be fooling with. And that's why they're not very effective. Who in your who in your business can take this on for you? Or do you need to hire somebody from the outside to come in and start handling this to you? Don't try and make your real weaknesses your strengths. You, you'll frustrate yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And something I learned early on is I try to do everything yourself. Sometimes you have to when you're starting out too. At some point, you have to realize that the things that you're really good at are the things that bring the most value to your people, your customers, and your business. And for you to try to do things that 
you're not good at and you don't like doing probably are, are, are setting you back more so than right. putting you ahead, I think, in a lot of... If you look at most entrepreneurs, what are they really good at? What are they really good at? They're really good at being a visionary and seeing what's possible out there and being able to capture the opportunities and hopefully be able to also see what perils or risks are coming at them, be able to navigate around or mitigate them. And they're also generally the best revenue generator in the house when they're pursuing that. So really those are the two main things you want uh, the business owner, the, the entrepreneur to work on is being a visionary and being the main gen revenue generator. And that's where the other part of strategic business advisors comes in. It's in the visionary stuff that I help them. Let me put it this way. Most entrepreneurs are very good at a lot of ideas. And about 80% of them don't work that well. So it's in identifying the 20% that do work well and having them, helping them get that implemented in their business because that's the other thing they're not really good at a lot of times. They're not good at great idea, implementation of the thing because they try and do it out of themselves. They try and implement their business. That's not one of their skills. Just be the visionary. We have people here that will implement it for you. But that's the that's strategic planning. Design your business into the future so your business will be where you want it to be rather than you're still doing the same stuff you were doing 20 years ago and it's not working so well. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to how you were talking about measuring the results. And I think that's probably a realistic, you know, a relatively realistic number. 20% of your ideas are probably good ones and 80% maybe aren't so good. Or maybe some of them are, are good, but it's not the right time for them. But I think the, the most important thing is yeah. make sure you measure your results, right? To make sure you know which of your ideas are working, which ones aren't, which ones to stop doing, which ones to do more of. What, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, do you work inside of a certain niche or genre, company sizes? Generally, probably the smallest company that I've, that I've worked with was about a million, million five a year in revenue. I've worked with clients as big as 75 million a year, which generally you start hitting that 70, 50, 75 million. A lot of times, you know, the business can afford a full-time CFO or at least control it. They have the accountant out. They still pull me in from time to time because a typical CPA or the typical accountant CFO is not going to be that strategic thinking. There are some, but the tradition of accounting is to look back and tell you what happened. Good scorekeeper, right? But in terms of, okay, Mr. Business Owner, here's your financial statements. This is what they say. And here's some opportunities for you in the future. There's some things you need to look at. Most CPAs do not come from that. They come from your good scorekeeper. How do I make more money? Sell more, cut expenses. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously. But it's like a a tax advisor my father had, he was a doctor, and this is back in the day when they had 70% income tax rates. He asked me, he says, what can I do not pay some of the income taxes? He says, it's fine, so it's going to make so much money. That's one way to go about it. That's interesting. I always assumed in the medium-sized business world that CFOs typically did do a lot of strategy. I thought that's what pretty much... Yes. In yeah. the bigger companies, yes, they would be very strategic. The problem with the smaller businesses is they're, they're generally not. Mm -hmm. And really that's, to me, that's the way you, you have you heard of Simon Sinek in his, the infinite game that he talks about? It rings a bell. I don't know. I'm not familiar, too familiar he's, with he's, it. He's, I think he's British born, but American raised. I'm not sure. I love his stuff. He talks about his, he really got put himself on the map when he's, he said, begin with, why do you do what you do? Whereas most companies talk about what they do, how they do it and eventually get to why. He says, you begin with why. Great concept. But he also talks about participating in the infinite game, which is different than participating in a finite game. What's the distinction? 
a football game, basketball game, sporting event, those are finite games. There are rules, there are restrictions of the number of players allowed on the field at certain times. There, there are restrictions. There are certain rules that prohibit, certain actions are prohibited. Some are allowed, some are required. There's a definite time thing, and the point of the game is that you have to uh, score more points than the other team by the end of the game, right? So it's all very, you just can't have some random team suddenly come on, a third team come on the field. Whereas in the infant game, there's basically no rules. And the point of that game is just to continue playing the game. So as long as you man- manage to stay in business, you're in the infinite game. And you know, the only time you get taken out is when either you're forced into bankruptcy or you quit. So I love his concept of people say, I want to be number one business in what? Sales and products sold and, you know, what define number one. And even if you are, you're going to have a hard time proving it against other people. So really it's like, how do you stay in the game and be the best that you can be and have great employees and be satisfied with what you're doing in terms of infinite game and just keeping the game going? What So strategic planning helps you to do that. What do we need to do? What are the opportunities we need to capitalize on? What are the risks we need to mitigate? Who do we need to have on the team? What training do we need to have in there? Where are we headed? Where I see us in, say, 10, 20 years from now? What's the company to look like? What's going to be our, our geographic footprint or our market footprint? What products are we doing? Are we going to start manufacturing if we're just selling products now? I have a client that did that. They went from being a distributor of several manufactured goods, and eventually one of the things we helped was they had a, they had a yard in Houston, and I kept pointing out it's an underused asset. They had no block plant, breaking even. It's 23 acres right near the Houston ship town on I-45. Eventually what we came up with was to put a an extruder plant with a big warehouse there back in 2015. So we, I got the financing for it. We got the thing put together. We started, and it boosted that gross margins from like 30 to 40% of this particular product to 75, 80%. I'm still in touch with some of the key people there. And I had lunch with the, the chief operating officer about, I don't know, nine months ago, a year. And asked him, I said, how are things going in Houston? The extruder plant's still going well? He says, yeah, we now have nine extruder lines. We've got five warehouses. We don't buy anything from anybody. We manufacture everything. Yeah. So that was a huge paradigm shift that came out of some good strategic planning eight years ago. And they, I think they probably triple, quadruple size revenue-wise. It's just, it's incredible what happened in the space of eight years, all because of you have an under, under underutilized asset. Yeah, that's interesting. And so with a little bit of strategy, you can see opportunities like that where may, maybe other people may well, not. Yeah, the thing of seven extruder lines and I think five five warehouses and all the stuff they're doing over there, nobody could see that when we were talking about just one extruder line. It was, is it going to work? Can we find some people who show us how to put it together? Can, can we make sure the technology, because it's fairly complicated stuff. Yes, we're able to find some people in Europe, bring them over, show us how to put the thing together, got it tested, got it going. Then you had to have people there that knew how to run the equipment. It wasn't a like, oh yeah, this is the way down, just go buy the equipment, turn it on, and it's going to do it itself. There was a lot of moving parts to it. Had to get the financing done, the construction and all that stuff, and coordinating all that with the bank, uh, the manufacturer of the equipment. Uh, so the, the envisioning that at one point they would have seven extruder lines and five warehouses full of stuff and not buy anything from anybody, become strictly a manufacturer with their own distribution channels. We couldn't think that big back then in 2015. But as the more they accomplished, the more opportunities became available.
you know, the more they could see opportunities. And so they, they took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, that's interesting. When I was uh, talking to someone the other day about businesses pivoting, businesses start out, they think they know what their business is. And a lot of times it ends up changing quite a bit as they go along because markets change, economies change, opportunities change. And like you said, you have to be able to change with it. So that's, that's an interesting case study. Yeah, the, another example was I was working with a, a couple of guys who were event planners. They did like festivals, music, music concerts and stuff. And they were, they had people going all around the country, putting these things together, building the stages, whatever they're, and for whatever reason, they had a drone to help them do some stuff. And the thing of, of getting more festivals meant they had to get more people. They couldn't really scale with that, right? So we started talking, I said, construction companies use those drones to, to scope out the job site and you can get elevations and all that stuff. So they started talking to some construction people they knew and actually like getting jobs. So now they're, I think they're somewhere around 50% drone services and 50% event planning, event production, but it was just out of this, they just happened to have this drone, that curious toy for one of the owners, and they've, they've turned it into a, a huge chunk of their business. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so interesting to hear those stories, and it makes you think, what am I missing? And sometimes I think you can be too close to your business. You get a little tunnel vision sometimes, and so it's, it's good to sometimes talk to someone who's from the outside with a different pair of eyes. Yeah. That's the thing. You get in the business and you start doing things. And after a while, it doesn't become, it's not that you have an assessment that this is the way things have become. It becomes like, this is true. This is reality. This is the way it has to be done. And you can get, you can put blinders on and not be aware. Oh, wait, there's other opportunities out of here. That's why one of the, one of the big questions I always ask clients, I always ask clients to think out of is what don't I see here? What am I blind to? What, what can I learn that I, I don't know yet? Because we all have blindnesses. There's all stuff we don't know. And it's, it's beginning, it's in asking those questions and thinking about what is I'm missing here that all kinds of stuff comes out. And you're right. A lot of times an outsider can ask a question about what about this and what about that? Oh, yeah, we don't feel like, yeah, okay. That's, why, why, why don't you do something with this Houston yard? It's an, under, it's an underproducing asset. What can you do differently with it that's going to make you money? Because you got this old antiquated block plant that's just breaking it, and you're wasting 23 acres of really valuable real estate in Houston. It got them thinking, you know, and they came up with a brilliant idea. Now they're a whole other company. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always say it doesn't cost a lot of money to ask questions, right? You can ask a whole bunch of questions, even if most of them aren't very good ones. That's okay. It doesn't cost much. But you might, you know, out of 10 or 20 ideas, you might get something really good to come out of that. So it's yeah. it's worth the time to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, and a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, they're so good at ideas. They'll come up with an idea that they're like two, three steps away. That's a great idea for the future. That's a great idea for 10 years from now. You're not there yet. But yes, you're right. It's, you have to be careful about, you can't chase all of them. So one of the, what are the best ones to chase right now? Which are the ones that you want to capture right now? Which one's going to make the biggest impact in your business? Yeah, for sure. Timing is another important factor. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah. Do you deal at all with exit strategy with your clients? I know you I, mentioned. I have. I have. Yeah. That's part of strategic planning. Is at some point you're going to leave your business voluntarily or involuntarily, right? So, how, let's talk about an exit plan. When do you want to leave, or what? Maybe somewhere in these 10 years, somewhere between 60 and 70, I want to be able to leave. 
what would you do with your business? You want to sell it to a third party? Do you have kids who are coming up who you'd want to, you'd want to sell it to? Do you have key employees that you think would be great in uh, selling it to them? There's a lot of different ways, a lot of different things you do. A lot of times, a big supplier will want to buy them out so they keep that engine of buying from them going. Sometimes it's a competitor. Um, it's, re- it's very rarely a customer. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to, to slice that one up. Uh, and make it work. But you got to, in anticipation of that, that's when you really want to focus on your financial statements and you want them to look as pristine, as powerful, as solid, liquid, really profitable as you can because that's what, that's what the, the purchase price is going to be determined by. Unless as you got uh, a diamond mine on the place and you haven't mined it. Probably not very common. No, no, not, not too <laughs> um, common. And um, it's a real... That's a real risk for those people out there that don't do much planning for it for an exit. They think, well, I'll sell it someday and that's my plan. When that day comes, it's not going to be ready to sell most of the time. That's a real risky way to go about it. Yeah, the, the risk is that you're not going to be you're not going to be paying attention to what your financial statements look like. Generally because most business owners don't know how to read their financial statements. They don't know what half that stuff means. So you, what you, when you get to the point where you're going to want to sell, you don't want to have a lot of debt on your balance sheet. You want none if possible. You want to be very strong financially. You want to be very liquid. You want to be as highly profitable as you can. You want to have really Spartan kind of expenses. You don't have a lot of fat. You don't go do silly things like buy a $2 million sailboat inside a company. Or, or I saw one guy, he bought a, what did he buy? It was a, it's a horse farm. And he bought it to put in his companies. It's a money pit. <laughs> what do you nobody's going to buy that you're gonna to have to get 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 rid of that and it, t- it takes time to to plan out a good exit strategy too right a lot of times if a business owner thinks okay i want to sell in five or ten years that would probably be planned early because you have a lot of stuff that have to get put in place and definitely yeah. should talk to five, someone like yourself okay five like, years five years is a very short time fuse in terms yeah. of getting the business ready to sell and having an exit strategy, who you're going to sell to, and what price you're going to be able to get. There's a lot of fact. And here's the other thing: you have to amass what we call a vault of documentation of your corporate charter, your corporate articles of incorporation, tax returns, financial statements, insurance policies, ownership documents. There's a literal vault of stuff that you're going to need to successfully sell your business, unless you're just going to some places just come in and go buy your assets. Is buy your assets and your customer list, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You're, they don't want to take on the corporate risk of buying your company and maybe some tax risk or some liability risk down the road that they don't know about. Yeah, I'm guessing in most cases you don't get nearly as much if you're only selling the assets, though, right? You don't get nearly. No, as there's much. a lot to the ongoing concern that the company name is going to survive, that the reputation is going to survive, and that you transition from who owns it now to these are the new owners and they do it just as good or better than me. That and that takes a few years to get that transition in place. But if somebody just comes along, buys your assets, buys your customer list, and they try and do what you do, they may not retain as many of the clients as they thought they would. Yeah. And I talked to a fella who is in the business of doing specializing in exit strategy. He told me a story about a client that they had. It took seven years to sell after they were ready because it took that long to line up the right buyer and yep. the buyer had to get their things in order. And so that can be a process too. So don't wait till the last minute is the no. lesson there. Yeah. Right? If you, you say, okay, I want to try next year. I need to find somebody to buy this business. 
you're, you're not going to get optimum dollars unless somebody with a gazillion dollars shows up and says, Hey man, I want to buy your business. <laughs> that doesn't happen either. Yeah. Once in a blue moon, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And, and what's the best way for people to engage with you and, and talk to you about your services and find out if you can help them? What I really recommend is you can go to my website, strategicbusinessadvisors.org. There's a way you can actually schedule an appointment with me. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, free. We can talk, have a conversation for about an hour and find out what's working, what's not working, what are your concerns you have, uh, what are some of your goals, and we'll see if, have a conversation, see if there's something I can help you with. Yeah, easy to find. That's strategicbusinessadvisors.org. There's a giant blue button right in the top of the page. Book an appointment. So it's super easy to get to. And then, of course, you are on LinkedIn as well. Do you have maybe a little bit of practical takeaway advice you can give to business owners out there that maybe they could take and put in place starting way, right away that might help them out a little bit? Well, one of the big questions that I always start with when we start talking about strategic planning is, are you satisfied? What do I mean by that? Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with where the business is at now? Or are you satisfied with where the business is headed? A lot of times you get the and the reason you get this is because they hadn't really thought about specifically what would it take from the business in terms of required time from them, income to them, ease of managing the business, all those things. What would it take in terms of action that you would be satisfied with your business to where I don't see I could get any better and I want to make some other things to make it get better. But for right now, I'm totally satisfied. Uh, a mentor of mine told me, I don't know, probably 35 years ago, he said the secret to life is being ultimately satisfying ultimately satisfied getting exactly what you want the secret behind that is how do you get how do you get all that obviously you have to ask for it yeah but before that you have to know exactly what you want before you can ask for it and that's why most people spend almost no time thinking about developing you get this takes time to really know what it is you want exactly in all the detailed areas exactly where you want your business to be in you know 20 years it's hard because there's so much can happen between now and then but you can say, okay, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, I want these major bogeys to be hit. Right? And for right now, I want to have these kinds of employees. I want, it to, I want to be able to just work 40 hours a week. I want to be able to take off four weeks if I want to. I want to have uh, a good morale here, good mood to work in. So start thinking about what it's going to take to satisfy you. Because believe me, that the whole thing of happy, it's Americans we're crazy about. It's not a declaration of independence, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. <clears throat> happy is a short-term emotion. Satisfaction is a long-term mood that you get to live in, much more satisfying. That's the big thing is begin to think about, begin to develop what it's going to take to get you satisfied. And when you start focusing on that, guess what? You're going to start producing those things that are going to make you satisfied. Life's a whole lot better. That's, a, that's great advice. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's a good distinction. Happy is a very short-term emotion. Satisfaction is what you need to think about long-term. Right. Awesome. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Carrie Prejean at CFO Consulting and that's strategicbusinessadvisors.org. Thank Enjoy you so it, Jay. much. Thanks for having me.